One, two. Can you hear me? How's yes, sound? sir. Perfect. Okay. Cool, cool. Man. My voice projects. I'm <laughs> I'm Hunter. Cotton. Very Cotton. nice meeting you officially. Yes, sir. Yes, Cotton sir. and Co. Yes, sir. Where are you based out of? So, Lafayette, right up, right up the road. You know, not too far. Uh, I was born and raised there. I'm 28, so been there oh. for a little minute. Been there for a little minute, yeah. Same. We're the same age. The same. Uh, I'm not. I don't live there. I haven't lived there in 10 years. What, but I, what high school you went to? I went to Turlings oh, okay. Catholic High School. Okay, okay. I know where you're at. Yeah, I went to Lafayette High. So, there you go. Yeah. We had the biggest, that year we were the biggest uh, graduating class in the state. What? It was, it was pretty big. How many people? I think it was 658. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Let's just, hey, all I know is, like, you know, That's you, massive. Got, you, you got your people going up, you clapping, you know, this and that. I almost didn't walk. I really didn't. I almost didn't walk. I had, I walked into my counselor's office. They just had a, and look, you're a tall dude. The only gown they had was a 6'7". <laughs> down and i'm five eight you know i'm a cajun man i'm a very average cajun so i look like princess uh whatever cinderella going up stage going get my stuff but hey my clap was big so i mean i was like i don't know you people but y'all know me apparently so no i don't mean it like that but it's just i mean dude we just had so many i think we had 900 entering our freshman class it's amazing that's a that's a lot of people man like, it's like some florida or texas stuff man. yeah like, yeah it's it's the biggest school in the state now i heard in recent years with like the past two years, things have changed. Like I've heard it's hmm. kind of bounced back and forth with numbers. Like STM, my grade, they were a 5A. And then after we graduated, STM dropped back down to a 4A. Right. So, and I so, think, I think Terling's even dropped down to a three. Correct. Because we, because we were, we were a big baby boom in this town at, at our age. Right. So right. Huh. Our, yeah. So uh, right now what I'm saying in recent years, things have gone up and down as, as that, as time goes on with numbers. But uh, at the time, yeah, we were the biggest ones in the state. So it was pretty cool. That's pretty interesting, cool. man. Yes, sir. <clears throat> so you, you told me that you have a podcast. I do. I'm actually the co-host uh, with my buddy uh, Scotty Davis. Um, it's called Unwoken, and we're uh, man, we're growing rapidly. Google's recommending us and stuff. Like it's pretty crazy. What is the subject matter? So it, so it's basically about. I mean, pretty much day to day. Now we talked a lot about football the other day, but it's mostly day to day about life stuff, about what's going on in the United States. Um, you know, just getting cut off in traffic, like you know, just how to go about your day and like how to not let negative energy affect how your output goes towards other people or like you know i always always say that commercial is a great commercial as an insurance one like somebody held open the door for somebody then that person let somebody in traffic and then that person let somebody in traffic help somebody with groceries it's like a chain reaction and so we try to preach that you know what i mean like we try to you know just like and, and you know we he's a uh this guy's a strong uh, strong uh conservative so he likes to bring up what's going on topics, and I consider myself politically homeless. You know, I don't really, yeah, I don't consider myself one way or the other. You know, so it's, but you know, I do lean more to the right because just I'm in the South, and that's just how my views are. You know, I was just raised different, I guess. But uh, we mainly keep it on the topics of life, and we've had some pretty big people come on. Uh, there's this rapper, 100 Grand came on. Uh, his manager pulled up like in a Corvette and all kinds of like a like a 68 Corvette, like a sick classic and what? like and, we're, and like chains and everything. And then he pulled up in like a like a Boss Audi. I wasn't there. I was out of town for the interview, but they did it. But what I'm saying is, as bigger people come along, we're getting bigger. Uh, we we're gonna talk over about what we talk about before we go on the show we want everybody to be on the same page comfortable we're not here to trap nobody we're not here to like put in put words into people's mouth we really want to our biggest thing is hearing underdog stories and that's how i kind of got onto the show my 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 company start was a 
pretty big underdog story, and it's it's a very long story, but it's a good story, and it's actually on Unwoken. If y'all want to go check it out, it's just Unwoken. We should be the first thing that comes up on YouTube. So I love it, man. Yeah. <clears throat> this is the second interview I've done with somebody else that's actually had a podcast. So yeah, that's, oh sweet, yeah, that's great. It was uh, we were at New Iberia Gumbo Cookoff. Oh okay, and they had another group of guys that do the Gumbo Show. Oh sweet, which was cool, and and you know I I like interviewing other people that are used to. I guess being on the camera, yeah, and speaking, and speaking, speaking your mind and yeah, it's it's natural for a good conversation to just sort of and what was burst, so good and what know? was so good about why me and Scotty clicked so hard because he, we were never really those that that super tight friend, but if I ever called him, he was there like blah blah. So like he started the podcast and I just DM'd him. I was like, hey bro, like I saw you were more of a political view show as he started off. Um, but I saw your last few episodes have been kind of like people's come ups, you know, underdog stories like, you know, and like that got me pumped. And I was like, maybe the world needs to hear my story. And he's like, yes, dude. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Hell yeah. Like date and time. Like, let's do it. So uh, it was great because me and him just drank a beer and talked. You know, it, was, it wasn't like, yeah, the world's listening and anybody can listen in. But it was like, you know we just two peas in a pod bro like i mean we just clicked and like after the show he hit me with it he's like bro you know y'all comment and like if y'all want him to be the new co-host i think this we found our guy like and i didn't that was never my intention you know but and i was actually like kind of nervous at first like man i don't know if i could keep up you know blah blah like because I, I have a busy schedule but as time went on we just did it once a week and like dude it's click man and like i said google's recommending us uh we're almost to a thousand subscribers like Congratulations, man! I know that's it's not an easy, easy feat. I mean, I'm a couple months in, and I know yeah. that 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 is a climb. You, and you have you to this, get up the, the totem pole. The, so. the, now I advertise like through my company, and I advertise through my personal like uh, Instagrams and Snapchats. But Scotty's really the one that's worked on it. You know, he'll dude, it'll be like two in the morning, and he'll see something on the news, and he'll just be like, "All right, I got to rant about something," and then. You know, so like, because he does it, at, we do it at his house. So it's easy for him right. to like, just hop on the mic and spit something out, you know. And, you know, one time I missed, I missed one week since we started doing this. And I texted, I was like, bro, I swear I'm in this 100. Like, I just, I ran out of time. Like, I was getting on a plane to go to Nebraska. And he's like, bro, it's good. That's why we have re-records. I was like, oh, okay, okay, good, good. <laughs> you know, so it's like, we have backups. If, if we miss a week, somebody gets sick, so heaven forbid somebody passed away. We got a funeral come up or something, you know. We got things on lock to keep things rolling. So shout out to Scotty is what I'm getting at. It, that man's keeping up with it. I'm just I'm just spitting my game out to the public and letting them let me tickle their ears. I guess I don't know. <laughs> that's it, Scotty man. You get a shout out here on Hold the Gravy, and and that's that's amazing. I mean, yeah. hopefully hopefully we can get him on yeah. someday. And oh, dude, I'm definitely about it. And you'd love my boy Bear. He has long hair like you. <laughs> He's on with us. Uh, they used to bartend together, so they have like good synergy and like just us three together, bro. Like it's just we're just hilarious. I'm gonna give it a listen, man. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's. But I would love for y'all to come hop on, like everybody meet or whatever. Like I told you earlier, dude. I was like, bro, I'm definitely about it. Like we can get all get in a, we can get linked up for that's sure. That's killer. For sure. So I bought a hat. I bought a hat today, <laughs> and this hat is sick. And I I wanted to buy like four of them. Honestly, <laughs> I wear a lot of hats, and I'm always looking for like. Okay, one, I always am looking for a black hat because I wear black a lot. I work in production, so mm -hmm. I'm always looking for anything black. But then I'm also looking for crazy patterns, and then, like, yellows and oranges really yeah. fit, too. So I, I, I landed on this. <laughs> yeah, you had every single one of them. <laughs> I landed on this one today, and uh, the rope hat, I, I'm just a huge fan. I, I, 
I love the company. I see you got shorts and you got a got, shirt on. A flannel on right now, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I made a lot of stuff like for me to wear around to promote the brand. I mean, dude, y'all gotta understand. Like the other day, I went. I had a limited edition line drop fairly recently, and in one hour, I sold all three jackets. Like, boom, 150 bucks gone. And the next day, well, I went to deliver one right down the road over here. <laughs> All of a sudden, I meet the guy, we hang out, we take pictures, no big deal, like, you know, it's all good, give him a few stickers, how you been, man, this and that. All of a sudden, we just hear, going 14 right there in front of the freaking Texaco. I was like, man, what's this cool y'all doing, bro? This dude hit the e-brakes and turned it, he goes, man, I just got off the rig not long ago, I've been looking everywhere, it's for you sell cotton and curl? I was like, yeah, man, he goes, bro, I got 130 bucks, what you got? I was like, I think we can work something out. <laughs> Like, dude, it's crazy. I went to the gas station. I was buying some peanuts, and this dude just loved my fit. I was just, you know, dressed to impress. Like, I'm always got jewelry on and stuff, and it's all to just promote the brand. You know, I just want the clothes to pop. Dude came out, bought a $70 jacket. He goes, man, this stuff cold, son. Like, I'm like, what's up, dude? Like, hit me up. Like, I had people, they love the rims on my truck. I'm like, you should check out the clothes in the back. <laughs> and, and dude i'll sell 100 200 worth of stuff at a gas station bro like that's it's amazing crazing. it's crazy so what i'm getting at is as we're getting bigger crazier stuff's happening like it's like a movie bro like i can't make this up well people are buying I, I don't know if this is a trend or this has always been like this and i'm just opening my eyes to it but people are buying more rare clothing i think yes, they want yeah. those limited editions they well, want those drops they want something that's meaningful like you pull it out the closet it means something it's like damn i got a nice dinner tonight but the thing is y'all can wear my stuff and beat the shit out of it we yeah, hunting it, looks, it you I mean, know yeah, it looks like it's, it's it's durable yeah you know like especially that's our, the clothes i like yeah i like to wear it a lot and, and look if i find a problem with a line of clothes i'll pull it or I'll have it like a deal, like, hey, you spent 100 bucks, I'll get you the free shirt or something. Like, if, like, the shirt's just not up to quality in my eyes, I'll always put the customer first. I, I deliver in Lafayette Parish. Um, you know, I've always been good at customer service. So, like, this was this was fluent for me, you know, to make sure that everything's right. Sounds like you extended to Vermilion Parish a little bit, oh, too. Oh, dude, I, I'm all over. So, I just mailed some stuff to Wisconsin, Iowa, Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Kentucky, uh, South Carolina and Georgia last week. Look at that, man. Look yeah, at and I, and look, I swear on everything. I'll even pull up the conversation. She's not getting anything yet, but she she hit me up from Hawaii. Apparently, this girl is from the area or heard of me or something. She's like, I just moved out here. I need some piece of home. So, hey, girl, we got you. Like, you know, let me know. I was like, you spent over a hundred bucks. I'll pay for shipping. Usually, like free shipping. You know, so. Um, so the different ducks that are on the hats and stuff. Yes, like, sir. is that designed? by a certain person where do you get the design of that duck well, they're I mean, all in, a, they're all in my head right everything's in my head like everything you see is in my head i'm not computer friendly so actually if you go walk and look at my booth i have the original drawings of my original designs and they're horrible like from pencil paper yeah they're uh sharpie but yeah like, and then you give them to i give and i had and you know who my original graphic designer was it's crazy how the world comes around she was actually my art teacher in middle school and she was all about it she loved to see one of her students. So it turned out, it's a funny blind story if y'all duck hunt. You never know who you're going to meet in the blind. Like, yeah, hey, I got two buddies meeting us there, blah, blah. Well, it turned out her son, we hung out, we clicked, we hung out for like two years. And I eventually started going to his house and hanging out. His mom was my art teacher. Wow. And she just, and so she knew me before, as a kid, she knew me before Cotton & Co. And she knew my struggles. Jacques told her a few things that I was going through. But it was just life. And I, I like, I got, a, I, I got the crap beat out of me a lot in life for a few years before cotton and co got started but 
you know, the most dangerous man in the room is whenever he has nothing to lose, and that's where I was at, man. And, and look where we're at now, like three years, coming up on three years, dude, it's insane. Like, But uh, but my whole point is she, she was so into it. She's like, yes, absolutely, blah, blah. Well, now my new guy that I get printed and embroidered and all that, he does my graphic design. So, like, I'll either draw it on a paper, crappy, send them stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. Send them stuff on Google and, like, you know, try to piece it together and draw arrows and, like, cut this, add that, blah, blah. And, like, sometimes he'll just sit back and be like, dude, this is going to be a lot harder than you think. I'm like, dude, no, no, man. Just add this, add that, pull that. It can't be that bad. It's like, dude. <laughs> so, some project, I don't really have drop dates anymore because, like, I'm expecting two weeks. And sometimes, like, I've, I've had four projects that are extended a month and a half for one jacket. Now, I actually kind of spoke about it recently, but we're coming out with, we're actually, <laughs> we're doing something very impressive soon. Um, I'm ex- super, super, super excited about it. I think, Announcing announcements yeah, yeah. here on Hold the Gravy. Yeah, I think we're going to uh, change the industry. I really do. I think what we got coming is going to, I've showed a few friends and stuff, and they they are all about it. The the jackets that we're gonna make are gonna be one of one. All you do is just give me the colors that you like uh, for me to use, and then um, it'll take a month and a half and a fifty percent deposit. Now, after two weeks of the deadline of it being presented and done, if the customer doesn't come pick up their product, I'm gonna sell it because I can sell it. So we gotta have some type of timeline, you know. That's interesting, man. I mean, that's just such a. It's and it will come in a cigar box. It's going to come with a Yeti cup. It's going to. It's going to be. This is going to be called the Hand Select series. It's a different way that people are buying products. They're not going really to the mall. They're, they're not really yeah, going the mall's to. Empty. Yeah, they're not going. I mean, they could go online, and that's where a lot of this, I think, popularity is is drawn from. Like yeah. different, different stuff. I, I don't. I'm not. My, I have a brother, and mm-hmm. he also does his own sort of clothing drops and hoodies and t-shirts and stuff and wants to i'm sure get to the rest of apparel shorts socks hats but he does the same thing and he has kind of made me knowledgeable of like what's hip like what people are actually buying that other people can't buy and what makes it hyped up yeah to where it's like you got to get it now so what's crazy those those limited edition hoodies that i just dropped recently that i told y'all about I think we had 105 notifications the next day because I didn't say I sold out. So like Snapchat. So I normally, if I'm sleeping, if I'm out late, I'm sleeping late. So like I stayed out to like three in the morning, like doing deliveries, hanging out, whatever, blah blah. And I passed out with my phone on Do Not Disturb, and I woke up to like Snapchat, comments on Instagram, like DMs on Instagram, phone call. I had like 15 missed phone calls. I had like seven or eight text messages i had like 30 to 40 snapchat i think i I think i had like 55 snapchats or something like that and i finally just put out a mass message i kept copying and pasting everybody sold out sold out and i finally just told everybody i went on there i was like hey guys look like put post notifications on these were way gone so the people that get my drops usually have my post notifications on on snapchat that's usually who gets the exclusive stuff because i won't make it again and what was cool was the Aztec jackets that we had done, each jacket had a different color cotton ball. So it was the same color to match the jacket, but a different color. So even if you see the same guy in public, it's going to have a different logo. So we had uh, we had red, uh, teal, or like a light blue, plum, and gold. And so like all four of us can be in the same room, but it's still going to be different. But it's still in the same line. It was crazy. It was nuts. So it just sold, it sold crazy fast. Crazy fast. I love it, man. I, it's it's. You never know who you're going to run into out here in, at the Delcom Seafood and Farmer's Market. I know, market. man. I know. And you're out here selling rare clothes to 
a different group of people than you would probably sell to on Snapchat and yeah. on Instagram. And it's just great that you even decided like, Hey, I'm going to come out here and pay the vendor fee and, and do the thing. And like you're oh, delivering travel all over. Yeah. Bro. You're delivering to different groups of people. We're and bringing it to them. Exactly. It's, it could be hunting apparel. It could be streetwear. It could be all these things that, you know, you wear on a formal night out. I mean, and, and you can go hunt with it straight afterwards. You know, it's right. durable enough to do it. You're camoed up. Like, Dude, I would hunt with what you're rocking. Dude, I know. And if somebody says something, be like, dude, the blind ain't brush. <laughs> they hate that. They <laughs> hate that. Because you you're not being mean. You're just like, well, dude, if you can't hunt in a, in a color matching clothes that matches kind of the brush, like, you don't... I get it if you're hunting, like, in an island or something. Like, yeah, you want to be brushed up, you know. But, like, if you're hunting in a pit blind, bro, come on now, dude. Your blind's not brushed. And they get angry. It's like, dude, I'm sorry. I'm going to look good while I shoot ducks. That's just how we do. Like. You're selling. Yeah, dude. And I mean, you're living that 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 sportsman lifestyle, obviously. And then you're you're obviously selling a sportsman product from Oh, dude, go paradise. look at my Instagram. Like, it's ducks, geese, frogs, crabs. Like, there, I posted a picture. We call it, like, I think a six-boat limit of crabs. Like, it was dumb. Like, 400-something crabs. Like, I, I post some crazy swordfish. I caught a sword. Hey, I swear to God on everybody. I caught a swordfish on a crack crab. You heard it here. I swear I have people, witnesses, like people don't believe me, but I swear to God I have it on camera. Dropped it. I caught a swordfish on a three-bait tile fish bait on bottom for a freaking swordfish and caught it <laughs> on a crack crab. So I have some crazy pictures and like, so like the brand goes with the it's personality. You're, yeah, yeah. You're inspiring, I guess, through your clothes, Correct. but you're also living that life that inspires you to make the clothes yeah, we just and got back from nebraska we banged them up up there dude. yeah like people dude. love i mean so my snapchat's really my day-to-day -day stuff my instagram's more of my drop stuff or things coming up or you know events i'll post like hey i'm here but like my snapchat like because everybody has my post notifications on they want to see what i'm doing <laughs> like like i go to the mall they're like like i went to the mall to get this band put on and like people just thought it was hilarious because i was like dancing in the middle of the mall like on my snapchat and stuff like just promote just being dumb promoting the brand like and and you know what the people that hate it hate it but you know like young Dolph said if they mad make them matter <laughs> <laughs> yeah man, rest in peace Dolph. i man. know man that was a good one dude he was a good guy he was a good they re at least uh, uh interview two days before he had got shot uh he had gone to the cancer treatment facility that treated some of his family members, shook hands, all the nurses, doctors, took pictures, signed autographs. And then the media actually went in there and, and filmed him and why he, he was doing this. And he was very proper, well-dressed, like, yeah, look, these people, like, put their lives on the line, like, blah, blah. Like, they, they sacrificed their time to save my family. Like, I got sacrificed my time to go take a picture with him, you know? Like, wow. He, and it's a shame that that came out, too. Like, two days before he got shot, and I think it came out a week after he got shot, that interview. Wow. So... Well, man. So, but anyways, on a, on a lighter news, uh, you know, like I said, we travel and everything. So, like, uh, C-O-T-T-E-N, uh, if you type that in on Instagram or Snapchat, I'm trending. So, like, I should just come up. Cotton Candy 337 is a snap. And then Cotton, C-O-T-T-E-N, N-C-O is Instagram. So, we're trending. Like I said, if you type in Cotton, it should just come up. But Man, uh, that's killer. And then Unwoken's our podcast, which I'm going to get. We're going to get cards and stuff. But I'm going to go finish up everything over here, what we got going on, the customers and stuff. And um, Yeah, we have the farmer's market, so we're getting quick vendor interviews, yeah, yeah, man. So I'm getting them in, in while out. we can. I'd love to tell my whole story, man. But it's, bro, we got to crack a cold one on that one. I love it. <laughs> Cotton, but we'll get, man. We'll get hooked up, though, sir. I, I enjoyed this. And I love the setup, dude. It's Thank great. you, man. Yeah. 
Chris. Thank you. And you're and on the right good track luck, for sure. Good luck to you and we'll we'll cross paths again. Oh, absolutely. I know absolutely. it. Absolutely. Get my car and we'll get numbers. We'll, you know, boom, 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 swap up. Cotton and Co. meets Hold the Gravy Podcast. Thank you for joining, man. Yes, sir. Thank y'all. Later. Oh, sorry. Had you turned down on the third mic. Yeah. There we go. Window. Cap. What's up, Cap? All right. Test one, two, three. Oh. Okay, clear. Right. So, what's the, the what's your special ingredient? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to try the dish yet. <laughs> well, we're we talking about food first, or oh well, this this is a new podcast project that we're doing with the Port of Delcom and the Seafood and Farmers Market. We call it Hold the Gravy, and it's uh it's a new system that we're we're implementing in the health and wellness sort of department, and we're working to uh, embrace the Louisiana culture and, and sort of pass down any traditions or any ingredients or whatever, you know, any, any kind of thing that, that the older generation can tell the younger generation to come or, or stuff like that. So we're right here. Yeah. It's the last, uh, last market of the, of the year. Yeah. So, Well, what we have uh, with this is one of our old shrimpers. Oh, young shrimpers. Uh, but I got to tell you this, uh, Milton Knock and his wife, Christine, uh, they have the, a shrimp boat, the Jessica Gale. And they started a seafood business that they call Jessica Gale Seafood. And they sell a variety of seafood. Some of it they catch the, their own, and some of it is our Louisiana Direct Seafood products that they sell. They go to the local farmer's markets. They come here. Uh, Milton shrimps during the shrimp season and I, I, I gotta tell you that uh, he's uh, my neighbor in uh, Youngsville Broussard and when I tell you he is one of the most talented individuals I've ever met in terms of mechanical fabrication he built he and his wife and he probably had a little bit of help, but he and his wife built the Jessica Gill from scratch. No plans, all in his head, welding, fitting, cutting. He did it all. Tell us about that, Cap. Oh, that was the worst project I ever did in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Not worst, it just was the biggest challenge. I'm from Homa, Louisiana. As a kid, you see them building the boats on the side of the bar, you know, it's like a, you have it in your head, you know, style and design and shape and stuff like that. Building models when I was a kid. So, uh, 1999, had a bright idea, went my income tax check, bought some iron to start building a shrimp boat. And, uh, with the help of Pat Hopkins and John Aber, and of course my wife, we built the Jessica Gale, which she's parked right over there. Um, and, to, and it was a part-time thing. And, uh, with the uh, 28 years in the all field, wad hip and joints and all that, so my days in the all field over with. So we go shrimping, do what we can do, and. Plus, we opened up the, uh, the little seafood market. So my wife was real good with uh, 
with the public. So I handle one end, and, and she handles the other end that I'm not allowed to handle. But uh, <laughs> but of course, uh, with the with the uh, shrimp boot, you have to be a jack of all trades. And uh, this type of business is not holding any money in it. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a hard living, but it's a comfortable living, if that makes any sense. So we pretty much uh, live the simple life. We eat good. Uh, about the cooking, I love to cook. I love the barbecue. I love making rice and gravy. I like to fry food. Never been to culinary school, but uh, majority of the stuff I cook is it comes out pretty good. So I'm sure you could teach a culinary class, huh? I don't know. I'm, I, I get I get stage fright and, and you know like anybody else. And I like to drink and and do a, just have fun, you know. And sometimes I get tongue twisted and stuff like that. But uh, but he he's got some interesting pictures of his his shrimp boat is being hauled out of this subdivision. Yeah, it was the boat <laughs> on a trailer. <laughs> It is the strangest thing. I, I was just amazed when I saw it. Yeah, you was, built uh, it at your house. Yeah, yeah. I got away with murder right there, pretty much, because we we uh, built a 48 by 16 foot nine inch steel hull in my front yard in a residential area. <laughs> then when it was built, we built a we got a big tent and put over it, and we sandblasted and painted right there. So, luckily, my neighbors, they were at the time they were. They were rooting me on. It's like, but I mean, it, what was interesting is like, they always, I'm always having my hands in something, doing something. So they really didn't think nothing of it until it was actually the frame had came up. We built the frame you know, with the bulkheads. The bulkheads and the keel, they didn't say it too much, you know, and actually didn't say nothing at all. They put the chime rod and started laying ribs, and then when they see this thing, it's like, finally, it's like, Milk, what are you building? A building, a shrimp boat. Well, that's a boat? Yeah, it's going to be a boat, a shrimp boat. And it was the two questions that everybody would ask. They come up in there. How are you going to get out of here and is it going to float? It's iron. And my old buddy, Big John, he got, he would get aggravated. You know, he would, he said, we, we think they build battleships out of balsa wood. You know, yeah, of course it's going to float. <laughs> but man, it was uh, 1999, the day before Good Friday. It was on a Thursday. I don't exactly remember the date. But Rick's touring, Ricky Baker finally shows up. Because we had talked about moving this boat before, and he said, Oh, yeah, we'll move it, no problem. And then when it was after, it was, that was when he was saying all this when it was just a pile of rust in the front yard. Because it took about six months to get to the point to where there was the hull in the cabin that was built at the at that time and he says uh oh yeah no problem then we blasted and painted so now she's all beautiful white and with the blue bottom uh and a fallen bottom and uh, with the black trim and and uh called him up and said man we're ready to move this boat oh man okay boy you so i think he got scared <laughs> He's, and it was like, I think almost two weeks went by. Finally, he, he showed up with, I think every record that he had, <laughs> uh, he had enough. 
he had enough pulling power to pull the devil out the ground. I mean, he came over there with back holes and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, we we, we cruised, we jacked it up, got it on his trailer, and land all, and and uh, boat went through Youngsville, and we launched it at the Vermilion River, at while we was on the bike. I mean, on the river. Excuse me. That was uh, the people that showed up to see if that boat was going to float. <laughs> Miss Yvonne said, I because it was supposed to be $2 for the boat loan. <laughs> and, uh, no, excuse me, I was $35 because she knew it was going to be a big boat. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, it ended up, she made more money that day than a normal Sunday when they have the band, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, I mean, the people was everywhere. It so was anyway, a, it was an event. Oh yeah, to see if it actually would have floated or if it would have just sunk right there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. right before dark, it hit the water, and it was a. Actually, I cried that day. Nice. <laughs> was there a cheer? Oh yeah. Nice. But uh, Milton yeah. is, uh, you know, he's he's quite a character. But what I like is when he goes offshore, and he's usually. Maybe his grandson or his nephew or he's got a, a deck hand with him, but he'll take, uh, you know, snippets of video uh, of different things, you know, during the trip, maybe pulling up the shrimp or whatever it might be. And uh, like I say, he's quite a character, but uh, he, he puts a lot into the. It's amazing uh, how they come out. I mean, he does a. Not even knowing that he does a really good job. <laughs> it's, uh, it's entertaining, and he's, he's just him being him, but he, he's got, you know, a lot of sayings and lines, and he's got music on the boat, and uh, there's always something different, I guess, when, when you, uh, you're not going to get me on, on the shrimp boat, okay, but uh, it looks fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's got, I showed up. Majority of the time, 99% of the time, I show the good stuff. The good times. Some of my shrimping buddies might not, they might frown about that, you know, like a big drag. Why you, why you putting that, you know, because everybody's going to see it, you know, and then next thing you know, that everybody's going to be here, you know. I don't care, everybody's got to catch a shrimp. Everybody's got to. If everybody worked together, and not only that, some of it don't it don't make sense to them because that's what they do but there's a lot of people that are entertained by something seagull sitting on the end of the outrigger and then when you start pulling the rigs in and they fly they get scared to them it's nothing but some people say oh man look at that that was pretty cool you know or, you know little things you know but anyway this i just put it out there and we have a, a matter of fact i been having it for a while with the Jessica Gill YouTube channel. Hadn't really been doing nothing with it, but I've been starting to put videos on it. One of the problems with Facebook, like you said about the music, a lot of the stuff gets gets uh, muted because of the music in the background about copyrights and all that humbug. It's like, man, I got, I'm listening to uh, satellite radio. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm paying for a subscription. You know, I'm not making no money off the video, but anyway. So, we uh, do our little thing and go with the flow, man. And we come to these farmers markets. We we'll do the one in Lafayette as well. Uh, I'm limited what I can cook over there. I have to cook seafood, but uh, which I don't mind cooking the seafood. But we try to uh, not cook the seafood because that's what we sell: fresh seafood. And uh, 
and we can't catch enough of what we what we sell. And, and what he's talking about is uh, the Lafayette uh, artisans and farmers market, or farmers and artisans market, however it goes, is is a pretty big farmers market in uh, on Johnson Street in Lafayette and at uh, Monkish Park, and uh, they opened up their market about a month after we opened ours going back to 2013 and we've always kind of like i guess it's just natural to be competitive you know they they don't even know who we are okay and we're com we're looking at them and seeing what they do and see what we can do better you know and that kind of thing but so we ended up um taking our products and and putting them in the market uh in, in Lafayette market there were more than excited to get seafood in, into their market they've had some others and uh it's a different market in terms of seafood um you know like milton has sold some of his shrimp there and it, you just don't get the turnout for that product as much as you do here i mean it's just more expected here and uh but his package seafood that he sells does really well and, and it, it has done really well for it but it's it's interesting that it's a weekly market but it's uh, interesting how it's it's just a different customer base. Yes, yes, no doubt. They like it uh, almost cooked. They want they don't want to. You have these people that come to this market. They come to buy their stuff straight off the boat, peeling, devein their own shrimp, pack it the way they want uh, or how they want to save a buck or two or whatever. But uh, the Lafayette market, it's a little. Uh, with different class of people that would want to uh, rather it be already packed, don't even want to smell it until it's time to cook it, you know. So, anyway, right. we are uh, catered to those those type of uh, demands as well. Uh, hand peel and devein where it's not uh, mechanically uh, processed, which there's a big difference in that. Mechanically processed, there's a lot of uh, water involved to move the shell off the shrimp. And then there is a little bit of hand work done where they picked a few shells that ends up at the bottom in the in the in the trough, and uh, then it's graded for that for it to gr be graded. It also has to flow with the water as well. So and then uh, it might not get as good a quality uh, product as a, as the hand peel because by the time it gets to the end of the road, all the the shrimp smell and just about been washed off. You know so. Uh, not saying it's not a good shrimp, it's still a Louisiana product, but the hand peeling the vein, that's just like if you went to the boat and bought it straight off the boat and did it yourself. So you, 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 you peel it, you devein it, you wash them, you put them in the freezer where uh, pack it ever how you like, where vac uh, the, the big main big plants and stuff it, and big volumes, there's a lot of water involved. So. Yeah, and I, do, I think you do taste a big difference. I, th I think there's a big difference in the taste, uh, but you know, yeah. but you have uh, you know like Milton saying the hand hand peeled, and then you have the machine peeled, which is still a, do a domestic product, and those are much better. But far and above the, the number one supplier of shrimp as well as all seafood is is foreign product, and it's uh, pond raised loaded with chemicals um, and it 
you can definitely taste the difference. It's just not the oh, same yeah. thing. And we try to educate the public to, you know, look at the fine print on the package, and it, it will say if it's a product of the USA or not. Right. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. It's all about the water. Uh, I mean, it, the wild-caught fish and shrimp is no comparison to pond ridge. Uh, the only thing that I know of that you, some people say they can tell the difference between pond raised crawfish and and uh, the uh, the basin crawfish could be a little bit of difference, but uh, they they both both good. But I don't know them pond raised, and of course with the the chemicals that uh, uh, Wendell's talking about overseas when we had uh, the Food and Water Watch here. Uh, in Delcom, and we went to Baton Rouge. Well, that's where we met, Baton Rouge. And they, they're not here to help us. They're not here to help them. They're there just to make sure that the people know what's going on. And uh, it was crazy what we learned because these these ponds, there was there was harvesting 300 pounds of shrimp per acre to I think it was like 60,000 pounds per acre. So the shrimp would get sick and then they start putting antibiotics and pesticides and this to keep the shrimp healthy because of the demand for the shrimp. So as for, I back to me and my wife, the shrimp and uh, price of dockside prices has uh, failed to make me able to be able to pay the bills uh, because they low. So we made a choice. We'll pick a quality shrimp, handpick our shrimp one by one, and find somebody that's willing to pay what we expect to be paid, where we can make money and pay our bills. And we have accumulated with, and also with the social media and the Delcom Direct, a uh, customer base to where, uh, as a small family, with just uh, with the boat and stuff. We can't keep up. We, we can't catch enough shrimp for the demand. But that's that's that. That's how we're not going to do nothing any different than what we've been doing because that's what we do. And, you know, the the landings uh, in, in Louisiana, the shrimp landings, um, have been uh, very low over the last decade and just trending down. And, and this year was especially in our area, it was just devastation. I mean, it was just some of the lowest landings I've seen since we started Delcom the Wreck in, in 2010. And um, in one year, just to show you the dynamics of supply and demand for shrimp, in 2015, the, uh, the imports uh, the Vietnam Vietnamese uh, shrimp crop, and it's interesting how they they do that. Uh, but that's a whole nother podcast, maybe. But <laughs> but they they uh, the the shrimp crop was devastated by a bacteria, and that's why they use a lot of uh, uh, antibacteria, you know, chemicals in those ponds. To, to, to treat for bacteria but anyway and the whole southeast 
of all, all of Southeast Asia was devastated by this bacteria. And so prices suddenly spiked unbelievably here in the U.S. because so much is imported. So if you cut that supply off, the, the prices are going to rocket up. And so that's not necessarily a good thing either because those uh, distributors that started inventorying that shrimp, well, the, the imports started to come back. And then the price dropped. So they stuck with high-priced shrimp. And uh, it, it, you know, it affected some of them as well, you know. So that's on the distribution side. So there's so much, uh, so many variations in the dynamics of the shrimp industry and the shrimp as a commodity. Uh, not to mention dealing with Mother Nature and, and, and everything else. Uh, it, it's a... It's uh, kind of a fascinating industry to study. There's some great books on it, but it's it's like Milton said, it's tough, man. It's rough. Oh, it's, it's a hard. Well, that's why we do what we do, because I, I, at least we know when I'm every drag, I know what I'm making. Price drop. We, we I've seen Ben sitting at the where you where you make long trips, um, long trips quantity looking for the big lake and uh sitting at the dock i lost twenty five hundred dollars because the price dropped while i was sitting at the dock waiting to unload it's like you know what i'll just we'll just cater with with my wife i can do it not everybody can do it you cater to the public and they're going to want quality and of course you know it's yeah, who's got the best or the best price or the best quality you know everybody does their own little thing they do it the way they want to do it, and we do it the way we do it. Now, I bought them that, that see, it's 21 years we've been shrimping. Most of the time, it was just part-time. Uh, I've seen finger-pointing. It's been blamed on politics of uh, the brokers, the, uh, the processing plans. Everybody's getting rich with the fishermen. Uh, and everybody's got a different opinion, uh, uh, theories or opinions, because nobody, I don't think nobody really knows the truth, you know, because I look at it the way I look at it, as long as, and then everybody's got to make a living. Everybody's got to make a living, but as long as these, ever who they, they is, as long as they can get any size shrimp at a dollar something a pound, that's all you're going to get is a dollar. And like a spike, every once in a while, I call it some bones, but that's just my opinion. And, uh, but anyway, that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to catch some bill shrimp and pay the bills for Christmas. And, uh, and of course, we're selling jambalaya. We, we cook what we can, when we can. And, and that's, our, that's our, our line of work. The best way I can explain it. <laughs> That's amazing, man. I mean, you're holding the torch. That's yeah. That's what I feel like you meant when you said it's a hard way of living, but it's comfortable. Yeah. It's well, kinda... we can quit when we want to. And I mean, you make your own decisions. I mean, it, I put, I've always and people look at people look at your money. Man, look what I, look how much shrimp I they figure out what you. They want to be a shrimper too. I'm going to tell you about them. They want to be a shrimp or two. 
and I, this is the best uh, information or, or advice I can give to somebody just starting out. Everybody's welcome. You're going to have to figure out what's best for you and your boat. Because whatever works for me doesn't guarantee that it's going to work for you. Or the same thing for that other man with his boat, whatever works out for him. That's what I first thing I had to learn. And it takes a few years to learn that. Some people never learn it. And they they end up going to do something else. They, they right. tie it up. There's that's no why, formula. Yeah, there's no formula. So, But that's one thing that when them nets are hanging like mine all right now, there's one guarantee you're not going to make no money. It's not in the water. It's not in the water. Now, when you put them nets in the water, there's no guarantee you're going to make money either. <laughs> but your, your probability is at least but higher. At least yeah. you, at least you might catch something that you can. And then that with uh, with our little farmers, with our little market and stuff, it's not all about just the shrimp. We shit, squid, drum, uh, drum fish, uh, the uh, the uh, sheep heads, um, shit. What else we sell? A lot. That freezer's full. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, we call that the, the bycatch. The bycatch. But, um, and that's another interesting topic. But, uh, yeah, you know, you can make some money off of some of that. And whereas they used to not even think about it, just throw it out. But Yeah, don't you, ask me about live crowds because that's a different animal. Yeah. Because that's... To me, that crowd has to be alive when he's sold. He needs to be alive when he's cooked. And trawl crabs is just not the same as a, a crab trap crab. Now, this time of the year, they do live long. But in the summertime, nah, we, I, as soon as I catch them, I bought me something for us to eat. And I put some in the uh, cooler for my wife whenever I get home. And, and uh, whoever to my friends and all that, they got to eat some cold crabs because by the time I get them home, they, they, don't, they ain't gonna make it. We, top priority is them shrimp. Yeah, it's too uh, stressful on the crab uh, that come off the boat like that uh, uh, in the trawl nets. Um, and sometimes they, they'll catch a lot of crabs. No, Female. They'll, uh, they'll have a short survival. I gotta try the jambalaya now. I mean, <laughs> just from hearing, just from hearing uh, your your culinary experience, or at least your well, your will to to want to cook good food. You well, know, I, like, I I never been to culinary school. Matter of fact, as far as I made it, it was eighth grade. Yeah, <laughs> but I know most of the time it's pretty good. Yeah, but that, <laughs> I ain't gonna say I never messed up a pot. Now that's what I'm saying. I know you know going through the the years of just cooking different Louisiana dishes. I feel like is its own sort of school of hard knocks. You know, you go through that. You get more street cred when you cook yeah. a yeah. a jambalaya for these people or a gumbo for these people or this and that. So. And, and he he likes to try different things too. He likes to tweak it, like we've been talking about, uh, for sure. And and some of it is is he's done some really good things, you know. Uh, but I also want to mention that for uh, Hurricane Ida and, and Milton as well, and Christine from from down the bay there, we call it uh, in Homa in that area. And he he and his wife went down there and uh, cooked several times for the people and, and just gave them away, you know, gave the food away and to, just to help them and uh, 
are very appreciative of, of them doing this. Not too many people would, would do that, but they, they had to take time out of their life to go uh, do that and, you know, their expense. And, but they had a lot of donations, uh, you know, like Milton Sand. You can see a lot of bad people, but sometimes you see a lot of good people. And right. During oh, those yeah, times. That was, that was unbelievable because uh, Drew Barra was one that came with us the first time. Uh, say two Trinity mix. Uh, it was uh, right after the storm because we evacuated for the storm as well. Uh, we stay on our boats over here. My uncle comes from Sippermore Point. He fishes out of Sippermore Point. So he goes back to work and all that and I'm getting ready and uh, and Renee uh, has a little man. He's, he's at the fuel dock. I pull up at the fuel dock. He's got his little truck loaded down to the gills. I'm talking about the bumpers dragging around. He's got fuel, he's got ice, he's got he's got uh, uh, everything that that he can possibly bring in that little truck. Going to do like going to his house. His house had uh, he lived in a double wide. It's, it, it, the storm moved it about four feet from where it was actually anchored or setting at. So it was on my mind, and, and uh, in which we needed to go back to work. And but the next morning. Uh, my wife got up and said, Mama, I said, we got to do something. I said, physically, I can't do too much. I said, I, I can cook. And, uh, so, not having uh, the funds, excuse me. With, with devastation comes community, you know? It's... Man, I put a uh, uh, post out there and I didn't want to have no ties with no people. I just wanted to do it with my family and friends and uh, and the people that knew me. My wife and I, and I put a post out there and man, the, the stuff that poured in, it was unbelievable. But what was even more interesting when we was at Renee's, we're serving food, we, everybody's got a little thing. I got my grandboys, I got my wife. Uh, Drew's there, my good front man, he was at the road. Um, my buddy Harry, uh, my daughters. People that was affected, that their houses tore up, they want to give us money to help us help I'm talking about complete strangers so that changed a lot of my thoughts of how things go on these days and stuff like that so we was able to make do like then we went uh, came home and clean up the mess the dishes <laughs> but we got that first round we got 600 plate lunches out between jambalaya and uh, we had some uh, some butter beans and some shrimp, something like that. <laughs> Them <laughs> shrimp that my uncle peeled. That, that was funny. You gotta, if you got that time, he, my uncle's got a troll every day of the season. That's that's his program for that. He's a great outdoorsman. He's the one of the greatest and the hardest working outdoorsmen I know. Do something else. But anyway, he's got to pull a drag on the way to come in here to evacuate for a hurricane. So he told me, he said, man, I got them shrimp. He said, you're going to peel the shrimp and we're going to cook them. Because normally when we have a hurricane to the west of us, 
we flood. So we hit, we stuck here for a few days, waiting on the water to go down and make sure our boats don't end up on the bank. So anyway, so it didn't work out. I had, I had, I think he had about 15 pounds, 10 pounds of shrimp, peeled, peeled shrimp. And Miss Patsy, she had from the church, they had brought some uh, six pounds of butter beans. It was a no name brand. I ain't never heard of it before, dried butter beans. I said, man, I said, uh, I don't know if that's gonna cook. So in the middle, get preparing for jambalaya and then also uh, red beans, smoked red beans with sausage. We, uh, I put them beans to cooking with some, with some, say two trendy mix. Drew had gave me some big bags full of the trendy mix. Threw all that in there and with some water and doing other stuff a couple of hours later, but man, they starting to cream up there. Say, oh, hell yeah. So, and I'm putting my heart in tail because I'm smoking butts, pork butts that I injected for this jambalaya. This jambalaya, that's my prize pot now, yeah. okay? So, uh, so what I do, I went ahead and I put them shrimp. I defrosted them shrimp. I just put them in the freezer. They were just starting to ice up. I said, my uncle's going to donate too if you he, he don't even know it. Put all that in there. Oh, hey. All the people that came over, man, them butter beans and shrimp and rice. I never had that before. That was the best thing I ever ate in my life. I said, what about the jambalaya? What jambalaya? <laughs> so, and then we... Uh, when you least expect it, I uh, guess. Between the red, bean, the red beans and the jambalaya and the butter beans, we got out 600 plate lunches, they say. And then, we, then I went with uh, alligator. My partner, uh, he skins alligators. He's a levy rat that we work together in the uh, in the oil field. So now he's he's all broke up too. We all all in the the ones in the oil field. We all broke up. My all my age. So he uh, he skins prize alligators now. So they they take the alligators and they bring them to the taxidermist after. But that the, the uh, that's the skin. But then they got the alligator meat. That lady had donated us an alligator. It was like a nine foot, ten foot alligator. The whole alligator. I said, man, I don't he said, man, you put it in a pot and you boil it <laughs> with a bunch of seeds. You boil the shit out of it. I said, well, yeah. <laughs> and that was another. That's another thing. Jambalaya. Um, I did all my thing with my jambalaya and everything. And I know I cook a good pot of jambalaya. I just know it. Anyway, put all that together, and then the Miss Patsy had brought some boxes, a box full of those. Uh, some stewed tomatoes. There's some plain Jane, no name brand. So I threw it all in the black iron pot and I fried it. I cooked that till it fried. We fried it, put the alligator, made an alligator sauce pecan. Brought all that over there to Lance Nasio's house. Uh, he's the one that we get the red snapper and the group and stuff from. Again, everybody's ramping, raving over that alligator sauce pecan. I never cooked one before, believe it or not. And nobody said nothing about the jambalaya. I said, man. <laughs> I said, man. But I did get a good tip, though. The old boy, he showed up. Me and Lance was talking on the back of the truck, the trailer. All the food was all gone, and he come pulled on the side of the road like a work truck. And uh, he comes walking up, and I seen he had some money in his hand when he was walking up. So I figured he, he's a work guy, fella. He's working down here or whatnot, whatever. He's, uh, that we just wanted to pay for it. And I said, no. Nah. I said, it was all donated. He said, no, I want you to have it. I said, no. 
it was donated. I said, we're not taking no money. He said, please take the money. So I thought it was a $5 bill, because all I seen was a five. I put it in my pocket, and I told him thank you and everything, and Lance didn't even know who he was. So we, uh, that night when I'm unloading my pockets, it wasn't a $5, it was $50. I don't know where this guy come from, wherever who he is. If you see me today, thank you. Uh, I didn't know it was, if it would have been 50, me and you would have been fighting, because I would have given you $50 <laughs> back. We did all, everything that we had, there was people that, that, that definitely if you're going to give something you can afford to give it that's so it was it was that's the first time i mean i've helped people and and uh but in a natural disaster where uh, i figured out a way that i can really help that was uh yeah that was that was definitely uh everybody enjoyed it it was good that's a large amount of mouths to feed that's that's a oh, lot of oh let me brag on this too the uh the second time we had got 800 plate lunches out, what? and then went make two trips shrimping because the shrimping was good, and I got people crying, fussing at me because they ain't got no shrimp. So uh, uh, we made two trips, and then we went to Galliana and we got another 800 plates, right at 800 plates out. So that was my little, my little the Jessica Gill team. I, I think we did pretty good because, uh, like I said, none of us got culinary uh, experience. We just. People, people would probably yeah. beg to differ, though, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. eating eating the dish, man. That's some that's some hard working dishes. I mean, alligator sauce pecan, like you don't, I don't know. It's not a dish you can just order oh, that was, anywhere. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's kind yeah. of a, a delicacy, and mm-hmm. and to to eat during a catastrophic time like like Hurricane Ida or or anything like that. I mean. I commend you for that, man. That's that's very oh, amazing. Well, it's not just me. It's the whole crew. Cause Miss Patsy and her husband was there. Uh, matter of fact, they, the church had gave a lot of stuff, the the, the uh, tomato sauce, and then she gave me her, uh, you know, tomato sauce. She got to get that tart out, so she has a a, a candied uh, jalapeno. I put a bunch of that in there, man. It, that definitely got the tart out, and and. It, and it helps the uh, tomato uh, sauce fry better. But it was a, it was definitely a team effort. Uh, I was the instigator. I, I take credit for that. <laughs> That's why they call but you Cap, I guess. That, huh? that, that That's no, it. There was no way that uh, I could have did all that by myself. No. It's a team. It's a it's the hurricane team and. Yeah. That's what that's what I guess Louisiana people are are special, man. Whenever it's it's something like a natural disaster that just that just forces you to come together and forces you to sort of help the community. And, and even if you can't rebuild or do anything or pick up anything, I mean, hot food is, is very much appreciated during times like that. I, I saw it out in Lake Charles last year. And, yeah, and, we didn't uh, make it there. And, I, uh, we, you know, we have our bills to pay. It's not, not everybody can do it. But it wasn't only the food, man. The, the other, we had toothbrushes, we had toothpaste, we had mouthwash, right. they had toilet paper. I mean, they had all kinds of stuff that poured in. As a matter of fact, we still might have a few items that we couldn't, people didn't want, just didn't want. I mean, it was just anything. I'm talking about these roofing nails. I mean, we had box trailers and loads of stuff that we brought. So, but anyway, that's uh. That was one of our adventures this year. Hurricanes are getting meaner. Uh, I don't know if they're getting meaner. I mean, we had, uh, I drove pipe for 28 years, conducted pipes for wells, 
follow my daughter's footsteps uh, on that. And uh, it was always said that these, uh, like they're called caissons, uh, we, we run 72 inch pipe where uh, sweats to 48 or 72 inch all the way over 30 inch pipe, which is the well. It was talked about 100 year storm because your wall thickness, it starts out one inch wall, the first 60 foot, then it, go, it transitions to inch and a quarter, then an inch and a half, and then all the way up to uh, uh, two and three quarter wall pipe. For, and I'm, and the pipe is so heavy, it's only in 15 foot joints, you know, 10 foot joints. That heavy wall is in the, the what they call the stress point is at the mud line. So much of it below the mud line, so much above it. And it was designed, the string was designed for a hundred year storm. 100-year storm, 100-year storm. This, uh, there was a fella, uh, I know what a 100-year storm, I seen it in a video, uh, trying to uh, think of that fella, Raymond. Raymond, son, I can't pronounce his last name, but he's from Galliana area. All I knew, he was the video that we seen. He was somewhere on the backside of the seawall of the get the floodgate between there and uh, Fushon, Port uh, Fushon. That video was out his window. There's a little uh, a little window unit. The little recording things for the side. He had pushed that aside and he was videoing. And I'm, this was not fake. This was real, and it was, the water was probably. A couple of feet right there, I could see what they're talking about. That was over 170 mile an hour winds. It was unbelievable. If we ever get that here, we're gonna be in trouble, serious trouble. Yeah, and it just seems that, you know, like you said, they get more intense and more frequent. Now, you know, they talk about like 10 year cycles, and it is pretty close to that. I mean, if you look at Katrina and Rita, you know, we hadn't had any uh, since that period uh, until these last couple of years and right and this year i mean 2020 had a lot 2020 hit i mean broke records on how many actually made landfall this year ida hit really bad but then the rest of it was was a pretty quiet season and i don't know you know if that's part of the cycle of the 10-year cycle or what but it's it is becoming more frequent and they're doing things that, I guess, uh, since Katrina even, they put the big infrastructure bill uh, to, to kind of increase the marshland or, or sort of protect from any any levee breaks, and, and, it, ended, and it ended up working, and it ended up succeeding compared to what Katrina, since they put all that in from, from Katrina, you know, it was the first storm to hit the New Orleans area since then but yeah there's no there's no part of the gulf coast that that is spared no. uh, we, uh, i used to go to these conferences that was about coastal communities and how to deal with storms sea level rise climate change all that stuff and, and hurricane and we went to saint pete in uh florida tampa bay and uh, i remember uh, one of the gentlemen there um, attendees are saying you know we're pretty lucky here in, in Tampa 
because we're on the inside, we usually don't get a storm to hit us direct. Well, over the past couple of years, they've had several that have hit them direct. Not, not necessarily as bad as either or anything like that. But So he, when you think you know, you really don't know when it, come, when it comes to that stuff. Oh yeah, you never know. We were always prepared for the worst. Now, uh, there was one storm, Barry. Uh, we rode that one out over here as well. It was one of those, uh, it was actually not even a hurricane. Uh, and then we was kind of laughing at it because it was taking so long waiting for Barry and all this humbug. But when he finally made it, I wish I would have prepared myself like I normally do because I had my outriggers up. And that's what hurt a lot of them, them boys down the bar over there, the outriggers was up. And it, it, it blew, it, it flipped boats and pulled pollens up, clusters of pollens with the boat. It was unbelievable damage over there. But never again, I'll, I'll uh, ride out a storm without putting my outriggers down. Uh, that makes the boat top heavy and vulnerable for uh, right. being capsized and stuff. So. And it really is, is something you know a storm enters the gulf everybody uh, you know especially along the coast uh we got to start scrambling whether we think it's going to come or not we got to get ready and you know we're lucky if it doesn't come uh but if it does you know we have to be prepared and uh sometimes you know you prepare and then it doesn't come and you have to do all that work but i look at it like well I'd rather do all the work and not get the storm than, than really get the storm, you know. But, but you ha that's, you know, that's what resiliency is. is that's just a way of life down here on, on the coast. Yeah, if you want to live that close to the, to the water, it's all about the water and the smell and the seafood, the food. So, availability. Unique, unique people that live in this area and, and endure the good times and the bad times, I feel like. And, oh, yeah. And uh, we we make sauce pecan, jambalaya when we can and, and try to pass it along. And unfortunately, it's not always in the best circumstances when, when people are, are gathering like that. And uh, But I think, again, man, the resilience of, of this community and these, these people in, in South Louisiana that stick together pretty, pretty much about well, well let me <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking that, that into existence so that hopefully everybody just well, sticks one, together one man's know. thinking everybody's going over there to help him out but when everybody's doing all right and you're in the shrimp he ain't gonna call you and tell you right. in the shrimp. that's right. what i get in trouble for because i, I open my mouth too much but that's all right <laughs> everybody the, needs to get the, the fisherman's cold you know yeah. you don't right. give up your honey hole and but yeah. uh you know, melting if you retailing shrimp, that's it's just a tremendous marketing tool and that's what they don't realize that. You know. Right. Uh, I mean every time we as soon as we post a boat's coming, um, I mean they, they all sell out. If it's if they're retailing they they will sell out if they come here in, in Delcom, just like we had Tim Schwest come in today and I know what he had a thousand maybe maybe two thousand pounds and you know by by 10 o'clock he was done yeah it was gone well we thank you for coming 
Milton, we That's appreciate you work. taking your time from your jambalaya duties. It's <laughs> about lunchtime for me. I'm going yeah. I'm I'm to go over. and get a bowl. Yes, Absolutely. Sir. Thank you, Milton. Hi, right, buddy. Yeah. You can get crazy with audio gear. As, as oh, I yeah. It's, it's a total money sink. You can do whatever you want. I knew that these were going to be the big, the big chunk. And mm. these are... It was like on... I said this before on the podcast, but it's funny. Like Tenacious D pick of Destiny, mm-hmm. where he's like looking through the magazine. And he's like... <laughs> They all have this pick. I yeah. felt that way about picking a podcast mic, and I was like, "Wait, they all have this mic?" So yeah, and you know, there's like a million articles you can look at, and right, pick and, and they, yeah, they too, they wrap me up. I'm like, I don't need to know. I just need to know what like everybody. What's the most user friendly? Mm-hmm. And that's what it ended up coming down to. With, yeah, with gear for me, well, it's always user friendly kind of deal. Yeah, well, you know, they love to get their hooks into you and like wrap you up because that's how they sell ad revenue. <laughs> You know, same thing with uh, the only profitable way to run like a recipe site or whatever is if uh, you put like a giant short story at the beginning of it before you even begin to list the recipe. Right. Because they need you to score down at least two or three times for it to be worth anything. For their ads to pop up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Man, that's 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 a good point. I I catch myself doing that more and more. Mm-hmm. Like diving in to read a, something that I clicked on, and I'm like, wait. By I'm halfway, I'm like, wait, I don't even want to finish because it's yeah exactly there's just too much filler you know yeah i'm an all killer no filler kind of guy like yep and uh i definitely feel that especially being a baker you know like it's uh you know information much like good ingredients is you you know and especially in the podcasting format uh people are more and more getting appreciation for getting right down to it you know um getting it concisely especially since things are so fast these days and having to get what you can you know like uh you know you want to be able to absorb your information in like 15 to 20 minute segments like a nice car ride for your commute to work or what have you you're you know, right just get in there and get it it's true man and some i guess that can go good or bad like some yeah some well, things i don't want to let go of like a whatever like a three-hour movie or yeah. you know that's like a something that you still want to cherish or be be able to watch a Tarantino film or something or you yeah. know, that has an intermission in it. Exactly. And not just that, but it's also like there are some conversations that you can't have in a mere 10 to 15 minutes. True. There, there are some topics that you can only start to broach, you know, but just literally scratch the surface. And, you know, too little information can be just dangerous if not more than too much information. So it's just about a balance. And it's nice that we have so many different formats these days. One of the few things whenever it comes to like the expansion of media and what have you it's just nice to be able to like really get a hold of like what you like you know what you really vibe with you know like some people love like four to five hour long video essays you know and some people are like i really like this content creator but i can only watch half of it so i'm gonna chunk it you know it, it's just it's nice that uh there's more of a freedom for how people consume content and, and a, a freedom for how you discover content mm-hmm. too um not just being able to consume it but i guess going out and searching for it yeah exactly i i, I assume me and you are around the same age yeah we when we were younger we're kind of the, the first generation to not or sorry we're the first generation to see both yeah. we saw light before internet and now we're seeing yeah. what internet does to people that are younger than us i guess mm-hmm. and i saw i felt like when we were younger i would really struggle with like okay i really want to watch 
a specific music video or I really want to go listen to a specific song or a specific genre and now it's literally spoon fed yeah I mean it's it's completely it's almost too easy yeah well not just that whenever you have these conversations about this obviously there's a semi-generational divide but there's also uh, the class aspect of it you know the class analysis where you know especially when you live down here in South Louisiana you know there are other kids from you know uh, greater metro areas, you know, like LA or whatever. I'm sure they had computers available like forever ago. But you know, whenever I was, you know, like you said, whenever we're coming up, you know, you can say it's a funding issue, you can say it's a cultural issue. There are a lot of different like facets of it. But you know, it's hard to even just get decent internet around here, you know, to do anything. Um, I see that you've been handed something that looks <laughs> delightful. Try some with me. Absolutely. I think that's the one of the smoked cheeses. It's a good smoked cheese. Not quite sure which flavor. Oh, Parmesan. Mm-hmm. What? Nice. I was thinking about, you live in Delcom. Uh, I live uh, right over in Iberia, but I come to Delcom every month. But it's okay. Market. Yeah. You mentioned internet. Mm-hmm. I-, I was thinking about this specific spot. Maybe one day we would like to do a streamed interview or a streamed interview series. And you need a certain speed of internet, obviously. Yeah, to make it worth it. To make it worth it. And I was just kind of, you know, just thinking to myself, I wonder if that would be possible in a remote place like Delcom. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, who are getting the podcasting game or streaming, uh, I have a friend, um, uh, love them to death. They've been trying to stream for forever, but, like, they just moved into, moved into Lafayette, like, literally two months ago. And it, you know, they live out in the country like I do. And it's been a battle this entire time, you know. And it, and it really hurts because, you know, a lot of people like shake their heads at it or whatever. But, I mean, it is an emerging market, you know, like information and what have you and uh, the Internet. I mean, it's sad to even say. Like, you know, it's not new. But for us, it's new. You know, it's brand new and it's easily accessible. But, you know, it, it really inhibits the ability for people to innovate and to uh, create their own, you know, businesses and what have you whenever you don't have the infrastructure in place, you know? Like, you know, uh, Suddenlink Internet is like whatever, but if I wanted proper internet, that's the only thing I could get. And even then, you're talking about like five megabytes or whatever. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. you know, everywhere else in the world looks at it like, dude, that's abysmal. And I'm like, yeah, but it's the only game in town. Right. You know? And it's kind of like the fiber game mm-hmm. that sort of came to Lafayette Acadiana region yeah when we were I would say a kid I remember being a kid and like fiber being a a thing Mm -hmm. that was being introduced I guess to our parents generation and and um, they say it's one of the most fibrous areas in the country I I don't really know why or yeah what makes it that it's one of those things where it's like yeah I'm sure for some people it is you know for people who you know have more disposable income you know like it's probably the most fibrous, depending on your tax bracket. You know, like depending on exactly what yeah, what part neighborhood of town you live in. Yeah, exactly. And it really sucks because whenever you look into it, a lot of technologies and stuff like that are already public infrastructure that's built in. It's paid for by us, the taxpayer, and what have you. But then whenever you have uh, these private uh, public partnerships, where you know it's up to the ISPs to then you know basically turn the line on or whatever, a lot of times they don't want to because it's expensive to do maintenance on that stuff. 
you know, it's expensive to do a full proper rollout, even though it's literally just running a line on the, you know, power lines that we already have. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I work with a group uh, in Oakdale, Louisiana, and we've, we kind of have a music studio there, a video studio, uh, a festival ground, all these things into one piece of property. And the one thing that is stopping us is internet. Yeah. And it's like, man, we could do so much. We can have a, we can have our own TV show. We can have our own everything broadcast from here, do music streams, do all this. And it's like, yeah, you can go full pirate radio with it. And it's literally in the middle of the state. Yeah. And it's away from so many things. And yeah, um, I guess it's similar maybe in New Iberia, but... Yeah, New Iberia is like that, and I don't even properly, be honest with you, live in New Iberia, not to dox myself or whatever, but, you know, I live out in Lydia, which is like the middle of nowhere of, you know, New Iberia. So, you know, like on occasion, you know, like some of my friends have a podcast or a stream, I'll hop on, I'm actually going to be doing a podcast later today, like I told you about part of the Bros You Think Network, we're going to look at some of uh, the latest anime and what have you to, uh, to discuss its cultural impact, nice. and that's really awesome. At the same time, though, it feels really bad to be, like, the one guy, you know, on the stream who's chugging and lugging along, you know, like, bringing the whole cloud of the stream down. And it's like, once again, I would love to not be, uh, you know, the guy with the slow internet, but, you know, whenever you only have, like, th- like three options tops and they're all about the same level of quality, you know. But, uh, actually, this is a good time for me to mention, um, starting next week, uh, I'm actually going to be talking uh, with a lot of people. Uh, I was recently hired with uh, the um, Gulf South for Green New Deal initiative, and we're going to start having listening tours. Uh, starting Wednesday, I'm going to fully realize my area, but from what I've been told, it's basically all of Highway 90. You know, So we're going to go from like about Lafayette all the way down to our kinfolk in Homa, and I'm going to be going listening tours a lot like you're doing here with your podcast, and I'm going to be learning about these different infrastructure and uh, problems that we're having and how we can try and you know, sees a, a progressive future. That way we can try and build that infrastructure and ensure and just transition. That way people such as you and I and, you know, all of us down here in rural America and the South don't get left behind, as we have been for, you know, a very long time. Now, granted, you know, I'm not going to make um, excuses. Some of that is our own faults, you know, like different cultural affirmations and what have you. But at the same time, we don't have to be that way anymore. It's like I was telling you earlier. You know, we can keep uh, the, everything that we love. We love the people here. We love the culture. We love the food. And we can leave back some of the more uh, archaic ideas, and that's what this is all about. So I think it's supposed to be running for about a month. It was going to start happening in September, but Hurricane Ida happened, completely blew away their headquarters, which is in and of itself a topic for an entire podcast, you know, how we're going to have to start meeting the challenges of these hurricanes that just come and totally, like, eviscerate people's lives. Right. Yeah, I've had that conversation a few times. Not on, not on line or anything, but yeah. just with with friends and colleagues of my own, and and even my parents, you know. And, and uh, yeah. it always comes down to you, you keep dumping money into electrical grids that mm-hmm. keep getting destroyed. Yeah, they're and, not sustainable. Yeah, and like uh, yeah, and you know, everyone here has their own personal story. I mean, Hurricane Rita took away my elementary school. We had to get jammed in with everybody over at uh, the middle school over in New Iberia completely washed it all away and it took them like seven years to build a new one yeah like and once again that's a school yeah that is you know now granted i say that a lot of people don't seem to prioritize it but theoretically speaking that is a public work that should be you know the first thing built back up you need the kids to go somewhere you need to you know you can't 
you know, if you use a, le- a year's worth of education, you know, you're dooming that kid to have to make up so much work. Like yeah. That. In you know? life. Work exactly. in life. In social skills and, and everything. I mean, it, think of what the kids just went through in the pandemic. Exactly. I mean, and, and that's also one of the only real so, uh, social safety nets we have. Like, it's the last of the commons. You know, like, uh, you know, back in the 50s and what have you, there was more of a social safety net. And there's more of, like, a, a class distinction, you know, like um, a real middle class and pu- good public schools and everything. And then, you know, for one reason or another, it's Thank like it's been kind of robbed barren as time year. goes on. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to being part of this initiative. Hopefully we can get some real conversations, you know, just like we're having here with a bunch of different people, you know, from all perspectives. Because I think if there's one thing we can all agree with is we got to do better. The people here are good people. They deserve better. And, you know, like no one's going to just, you know, sit around and hand to us. We got to take it. Sure. You know, man, you're saying some good stuff, Josh. This is really a pleasant surprise to to meet you and set up set up booths literally uh for I, my, my camera died by the time we got to this but i'm literally six inches from his booth mm-hmm. and <laughs> my shoulder was bumping on his uh red beans and rice pot yep. earlier this morning and and uh man it's it's great to meet you though what's Absolutely your last not. name uh my name is joshua trosclair uh no relation um but yeah i grew up born and raised here uh Raised by my mom, raised by my grandma. Also, um, next market is in and February. Yeah, uh, for the record of these, uh, all of you we'll out there, um, uh, I'm a baker by trade and also a trucker in you know, my daily life. Um, so if you guys want any like baked goods or anything, uh, I'll try and... Uh, is there a way that I can like plug any socials or anything? Yeah, please do. All of them, man. I mean, this, this is a new... This is a new um, podcast too hold the gravy and it's partnered with the port of delcom and we have sort of positioned our way into talking about louisiana seafood more but but really it's it's about louisiana culture and and how we can continue to progress it so please plug away man okay um well yeah so my name is joshua trosclair that's j-o-s-h-u-a and then uh trosclair t-r-o-s-c-l-a-i-r for for those of you who know the family you know the family um, been here forever. Uh, literally, my family's got like a bunch of uh, Homo tribe ancestry, which is going to be another group that I'm going to be talking about uh, for this initiative. Um, uh, so, you know, um, you know, just try and look that up on Facebook or whatever. Get at me. We'll try and get you guys some baked goods. There's a l- bunch of Christmas stuff that we do. You know, um, it's our busiest month. There's a lot of stuff we do just for Christmas. Nice. Um, you know, everything's uh, done as local as possible. A lot of it's our own trees and what have you for all of our, you know, fruit-based baked goods. You know, all that stuff. And it's all made with uh, Louisiana sugar. Um, you know. Big industry where, where you live, I mean. Exactly. And the thing is, it's a big industry. And, like, it's it's an industry that is, it's a land of contrast. Uh, much like Afghanistan. Like, on one hand, it is a job provider that does great. On the other hand, if you look into some of the more, like, systemic things that go on with it, uh, one, I mean, you know, we can't overlook its history at the end of the day, you know. I mean, it wasn't always a bunch of dudes and tractors, you know, making sure it can't happen. And not just that, but also there's an uh, there's ongoing um, uh, medical effects that it happens. Like, you know, you, you don't have to look far. You just, like, turn your eyes to the horizon and you can see just these big, giant clouds of burning ash and have you from them burning the cane fields. And, uh, you know, it's not as bad as Cancer Alley over near Baton Rouge, but, you know, like, 
bunch of effects of asthma and what have you and like different kids coming up with like different allergies you know and part of that is in fact because of these giant sugar plants that we have and uh just burning the cane fields you know and that is something we're gonna have to address as well because there is obviously a carbon uh, dioxide um situation that occurs whenever you're just burning massive fields of you know uh, plant matter so you know um i'm thankful that it is here because it is good for jobs I just wish that we could handle it in a slightly uh, smarter way. And also, you know, on some level we have to talk about how the cost of uh, getting like sugars for, like pounds and pounds of sugar for a dollar or two, how that really does kind of uh, decrease tax revenues around here, which could go to paying for a lot of these infrastructure uh, things that we've talked about in these last few minutes, you know? Um, like me personally, I know personally a lot of uh, sugarcane farmers and they're good people, they're hardworking people. You know, and they're willing to, you know, put up the money whenever it comes to helping those around them. There's a lot of them, like uh, uh, Herb Bro, my mom actually works for as a house cleaner. A uh, great man um, with a very nice family. A uh, family that's also been touched by tragedy around here. Um, and he does a lot of charity work and he's a very giving person. It's just one of those things where, you know, you really have to step back and look at it. Well, uh, charity is a great and amazing thing. Um, it is also finicky and fickle. You know, it, it moves and sways with the will of the people around it, you know. So hopefully we can look towards more, a, um, uh, like I said, a more just transition that can bring everybody to the table and uh, try and, you know, really jumpstart South Louisiana. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. It's like all these great industries and all these great jobs that everybody wants for this area, but it's nobody really wants to just... Let's let's just take a second to maybe reposition how we do the logistics of this exactly. of this industry. And, and that's the thing. And it's not like it's that hard. Like I mean, obviously it's got some challenges, but a lot of it really just comes to uh, you know like a sort of um, it, it's about building inertia. You know, nobody wants to be the first one to really start the conversation. You know, it takes a lot of energy to get that first push, but once you really get it going, it, it just stays rolling. Yeah, yeah um, it's a great way to look at it, and it's a really positive attitude you have on that and i appreciate yeah. that honestly because i think more people in this area really could use that positive reinforcement on yeah. a lot of things and and a lot of things that they may think the world is is leading themselves to or, or what it's like hold on now you yeah. know just just take a well, second to breathe and, and let's figure this out all together yeah. kind of. well i can't blame them because on some level it's a learned helplessness you know like it's it's broken promises. It's a lot of people telling you one thing and then doing another. Sure, sure. You know, which I don't blame anybody, you know, around here who feels disjointed or like they're not being taken care of. As we were just talking about when it comes to hurricanes, you know, there's a big flood of money that comes in when the hurricane happens, but then suddenly everyone forgets something new happens. And meanwhile, you're stuck here picking up the pieces. You know, like Louisiana is a long-term commitment. You know, like we're we're a state that's been you know having so many issues the past few decades that like it's not going to be a one and done thing you got to stand here with us hand in hand and you got to really help build it back you know and that honestly goes for the country as a whole but obviously i have a personal um you know i have a personal affinity for what i've seen all my life here you know um now that being said i could also tell you stories of you know while i've been trucking tell you stories of all the different like abject poverty and stuff i've just seen you know all along america's highways you know like some there's some real sad stories out there um not trying to read the moon down or whatever because but at the end of the day it's not because of despair it's hope 
you know like every you know one thing that's really sat with my mind when it comes to like if you want to use a slogan or whatever there's a lot of work to be done there's so much work to be done but where are the jobs you know like so many issues that we have around here are can be done if you just throw people at it and you throw money at it but that's the issue you know there's so many things that we can do to be fixed but no one wants to pay for it you know so hopefully eventually especially a lot of these industries that have gotten unbelievable amounts of wealth and uh, accumulated it you know in that regard can finally start to shell out for our own people you know like uh, i think it's time i think it's been long enough a lot of these places have had kind of a free ride we're grateful for the jobs that they have but when you compare the job revenue that we've made compared to the multi-millions between you know oil and gas and you know also yes the sugar industry and uh lumber up north you know, for our brethren up in louisiana you know um it's time it's time for the people to be paid back Reap the benefits man yeah especially because you know i mean these are hard jobs they're hard jobs that you know like you put your body on the line like you're getting out there you know dealing with all kinds of cancerous material you know like the people of uh, Louisiana have put in a lot of the groundwork, you know? Man, good good words. Well said by my friend Josh Trustler here. And and really, man, it was great to great to meet you and sit by you all day. And, of course. And sort of watch the, the community gather on, on a really positive finale of 2021, I think. And, yeah. And, uh, it's, it's a bright future for things to come. It you is. You know what I mean? After everyone collectively came off of something so so hard with 2020 and into 2021 and let us not forget there are some people suffering out there but you know like we can definitely start to work our way back but the only way we're going to be able to do it is you know locally and you know with a plan towards the future and real true solidarity with one another you know and i i always enjoy going to these farmers markets because i think that's sometimes where it's most exemplified you're right you know? i was thinking that the whole time and even just talking on my my own intros today i was saying that you know just seeing the smiling faces just kind of show up and the interest in everybody just yeah. the, the interest in each table that they're they're showing up at 9 a.m and they're like man what you got what you got yeah like it's some of the most social that especially some of the older folks it's some of the most social stuff that these people have it just right. it's, it just so happens that thankfully they can also make money off of it right you know because lord knows everybody who's struggling but you know like it's community. It is. And it shouldn't be as rare as it is. But I know. It is. I know. You know. I feel the same way. Um, so I just want to thank you for coming over. You know, obviously you're always welcome back here again. And I hope that me and you personally can, you know, talk again about this stuff. I'll be right here. I'll be literally up against your uh, yeah. beans pot. <laughs> absolutely, man. And, you know, whenever you want to take a little bit from the beans pot, you let me know. Oh, man, absolutely. And, and you know, for the listeners at home, we this was the final interview of the day. And you probably heard a lot of banging around mm-hmm. us from the tables that were being torn down and everybody's packing their cars right now and it, it really is uh it's a beautiful day and it's the end of a, a great season at the delcom seafood and farmers market and josh thank you man appreciate you thank you so much uh and once again my name is joshua trostler so if you guys want any good sweets anything local hit me up uh also keep an eye out for the uh, Gulf South for a Green New Deal initiative. Like I said, we're going to be going on a listening tour. So, you know, as much as you might uh, like my voice and what have you, I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you guys. You know, let's find a way to build towards something better together. And, you know, for my last plug, I will say, uh, you know, if this has inspired you at all, you know, 
in this brief little period of time that I've had, feel free to uh, join various local organizations, one of which I'm a part of. Uh, one is the Iberia DPAC Committee, which you know works more on a political edge in uh, Iberia Parish itself to try and uh, hold our council members accountable. And the other one would be the Southwest Louisiana DSA. Uh, we cover the sister cities of Lake Charles, Louisiana, as well as Lafayette, but we welcome everyone. You know, uh, we actually have a Christmas uh, charity drive coming soon that's going to have a free store for all the less fortunate, you know, who can't go out and afford to buy toys for their kids for Christmas. Um, you know, if you search that into Google, you, it should come up. Um, and we're doing a lot of good work. It's all about mutual aid and helping your community, you know, building something a little stronger. So That's it, man. Positive positive notes on this great conversation to end the day, man, and, and I'm grateful for it. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. And I'm glad I got to meet you. Me too, man. You have a good one.